There's that sound. There's the music. That means what? Married People's Business is back on. We're back. We're back. We're back. And we want to welcome all of our viewers and listeners to this wonderful podcast, Married People's Business. And we have a lot to talk to you about today. And uh, one of the topics that is a crucial topic for married couples, and particularly just couples together that are trying to build something, is how do you create wealth? How do you create those riches? And today's podcast is entitled Eight Things Couples Should Do to Become Rich. Eight things. We narrowed it down. Obviously, this is not an all-inclusive list, but some of the things that we have done. That is correct. That is correct. It's not an all-inclusive list, as Shalise said, but these are just some of the tips that we have uh, kind of accumulated uh, over our time uh, being married for, what, 16 years? It'll be 17 years in September, right? Yes, sir. Good. Look at you getting the number right. Hey, I got to do what I can to stay off the couch, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always trying to stay off the couch. Oh, wow. Well, you do a good job. I appreciate that. So that's what we're going to do in this podcast. We're going to go through eight things that couples should do to become rich. And we're going to start off at... Our number one thing is what we did when we started off as a married couple. Yes, you have to, have to, have to, have to talk to each other. Don't be afraid to talk about money. I don't care how bad the situation is. When you're coming together as one, I think it's very important that you be able to talk about money, be able to be open and honest so that you can get on the same page. I would agree with that. And I think that uh, any type of a, a good relationship always has to start off uh, with communication. And uh, that's the only way that you can really build and develop uh, any sound uh, fundamental relationship is through communication. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, as hard as it may seem, um, there may be some embarrassment there. There may be some, you know, hey, I'm not so thrilled with the way that I've spent in the past or on the other end, you don't want somebody to know exactly how much you do have. Well, yeah, that's true. And I think when we got married on and what September 6th, September 2nd, I almost messed that up. <laughs> oh. September 2nd, 2006. I got that right. At 5.03 p.m., I believe is when you walk down that aisle, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we were done by 5.15, I gave man. the time like I was online again. <laughs> gave the time, 5.03 p.m., yeah, so uh, that was one of the things that we did when we first got married was we really laid our cards out on the table and we sat down and really talked about kind of what we were doing in terms of money. Because when you get married and when you start a relationship, not just when you get married, but when you get into any type of a relationship, whether it be an intimate relationship or a business relationship, I think you have to lay your cards out on the table. I agree. And laying your cards out on the table is really talking about the cult, the different cultures that you come from. Because I'm a firm believer that everyone culture is just not specifically set to race or gender. Uh, culture is really a way of doing things and how you particularly in your finances, how you handle money. So we came from really to you and I came from two different cultures. Yeah. Like, yeah, we did. Yeah. Spending I, I, cultures and <laughs> saving cultures. And- that's right. I was a fashion plate. <laughs> well, yes, you were. You were very a very cute fashion plate, and you still are. Well, thank you but, so very but much. But a more responsible 
cute fashion plate. Yeah, but, you know, I can remember, um, you know, my culture and what my father taught me was really he didn't believe in debt. So that was the culture I brought into our relationship was I was really debt adverse. Uh, I did not. uh, I think I own one credit card. Actually, I still own the same credit card that I have had since I was a senior in college. And I have never really had any other credit cards outside of that. That credit card got a lot of rewards points. It does, because we talked about that. I told you that that was something that was very important to me in terms of not getting into debt. Um, And your philosophy, uh, not that you were a person that uh, believed in having a lot of debt, but you were a little bit more comfortable with having credit cards and debt. And those two cultures uh, would have collided had we not talked initially, right? Right. Well, I'll, I'll be, you know, just transparent for, for our audience. Um, you know, I was, I was literally living um, above my means in college, trying to keep up with the, the Nautica and the Tommy Hilfiger <laughs> and the clothes of the 90s. And hey, I was in college. I didn't have a real job to pay these bills. So I was paying the minimum. And so what really kind of happened with me is I had to look at all of this when I got ready to apply for law school and then the bar exam, because they do ask about your financials on the bar application in Indiana. And so I started looking at that and I was like, oh, wow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay, yeah, of course, I know I have school debt, you know, the loans from school or whatever. But I was like, good grief. And by that time. I wasn't even wearing, I didn't, I don't even think I owned any of those same clothes and, but I'm still paying for them, you know, and I'm in law school getting ready to graduate. So it was the realization of, you know, now I'm figuring out how do I adult, um, you know, with my finances and then got that under, you know, control. But by the time we got engaged and start talking about our finances, it wasn't gone. And you know, it, those types of things. Not that I was late, but sometimes, you know, you got in situations where it just, I was paying the minimum. And that doesn't make your credit score move when you're paying the minimum. And it doesn't hit the balance either. That's right. But <laughs> so. I think the key to this point, don't be afraid to talk about money. Yeah. The point is, is that uh, it could have been very easy for you to withhold that from me. And I can remember you being very open and honest about your uh, your financial situation and I hope I, I would like to think that I was a good husband and I understood where you were coming from and uh, understood the team at, you know, team atmosphere that we created in our marriage. And by talking about it, we, you know, really kind of developed a plan in terms of how to tackle it, because your debt now becomes my debt. Um, and I took my vow serious. So it was I didn't view it specifically as your debt anymore. I viewed it as something that we needed to deal with together. And uh, I think we did. And I don't think that would have happened had we not been open and honest with each other and decided to get our cult, our financial cultures out front right. and really talk about that. Yep. Yep. I think you're right. There we go. All right. So, so don't be one. afraid to talk about money because that could lead you to bigger and better financial success as a couple. So what is number two? Number two, write down specific goals, specific goals. And, you know, one of the, you know, I read pro- one of the things that I do every morning is I read a corresponding chapter of Proverbs. So, for example, if uh, if I'm on the third day of the month, 
uh, I'm reading Proverbs three from the fourth day, Proverbs four and so forth. And one of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 21, five that talks about the plans of the diligent and the plans of the diligent lead to success. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing that, but that's basically what Proverbs 21, five talks about is planning. If you want to be successful, you have to plan and you have to have specific goals and how you go about doing that. And I know we did that when we got married. That's one of the very first things that we did was we set out a financial plan for ourselves. That's true, Um, because we are goal setters anyway. I think both of us had that in our nature. So when we sat down and talked about not only my debt, but even our school debt, we were like, okay, here's the plan as to how we can try to eliminate these, pay these down, our vehicles. um, You know, we bought a house. All of that was in that plan, trying to, you know, set time periods. And, you know, it's about doing a little bit at a time. Don't think that you have to, you know, take this big old bite, big old leap and, and you know, you can get get everything done all at once. In life, you set goals, you set time periods. And we did the same thing in our goals of, you know, um, building our wealth. Yes, Proverbs 21.5 says the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty only to poverty. And I believe that Shalisa and I really codified that uh, concept when we got married and we joined forces because one of the things that we did was, and we still do today, we still go set and we still specifically set out financial goals, uh, fun goals, social goals, places we want to visit. All of those things are on our plans and uh, we have individual goals and plans that we set. Like I have my own plans um, that also, you know, include my wife and I keep those on the refrigerator so that I have I look at them every morning when I get up uh, from the time I get up until the time I go to sleep. I'm looking at my goals. One of my goals is to keep God first. Another goal is to to honor and cherish my wife. Uh, another one of my goals is to provide 20 scholarships for, for uh, 20 African-American students from Gary, Indiana. And I have a whole host of goals, which I won't go through today. But the point is, is that, you know, if you want to reach your financial milestones and accomplish things, you have to be specific in terms of what you want, because if you don't plan, it's just not probably not going to happen. The chances are, if you write something down, you're probably going to it's going to stick in your subconscious and you're going to be constantly aiming at that, even if you're not necessarily consciously aware that you're aiming at it. That's what I was going to say, talking about writing it down, how important it is to write it down, because when you don't write it down, you don't follow through. Yeah. And it can be something as simple as, uh, you know, we're going to say twenty dollars a day or twenty dollars a month and those pennies add up. But if you never write it down, what writing your goals down does is it set it. It makes you accountable to that goal. Right. And it makes you accountable to achieving what you have uh, decided to put down and on paper. So I would strongly encourage any uh, business partners, couples, whether it be intimate or in a business setting. If you want to accomplish riches, if you want to reach your financial goals, then you have to be specific in terms of what you write down and goal set. I agree. All right. Number three, where are we at? 
Go ahead with number three. Number three is one of my favorites. Uh-huh. It's F the Joneses. So I'm not going to curse on this podcast because my mama might be watching. So I'm not <laughs> going to say the F word. <laughs> but y'all are very intelligent people. If you're watching this podcast and you're watching uh, our tips on how couples can, uh, what couples should do to become rich, I think you probably know what the F word means. So I'm not going to go and explain it to you. But if you want to reach your financial goals as a couple or as a bit as business partners, you have to do away with the Joneses. And I think everybody understands who the Joneses are um, today. You probably would be, they would probably be more identified with the Kardashians or or some other Holly, fictitious Hollywood uh, character or character. But the Joneses are basically uh characters that go back in time. I think it started in a comic strip in the 1900s of a family, uh, the McGillis, the McGinnis family, I think is the comic strip. And in that comic strip, they always talked about keeping up with the Joneses. Now, what I thought was funny about the history, when you research this, you never really see who the Joneses are. So the Joneses are never revealed. Only the, uh, the McGinnises are revealed the McGinnises are constantly shooting to do everything that the Joneses do. So that's the folklore. And and people have gone into debt even today and, and live miserable lives even today because they're trying to keep up with these fictitious Joneses. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's where you have to check your spending habits. You know, you, you got to be real with what you have and live the lifestyle that you can afford. So, you know, if you're trying to build wealth, but you keep looking down the street, you know, to see what is going on down there and trying to keep up with what they got, you're not going to be able to do that. Well, yeah. And I think in in this day and age with social media and Instagram and filters and, and booty lifts, the BBLs. I just learned what a BBL was just a few days ago. Ain't that what it is? Brazilian butt lifts. Yeah. I'm like, those booties ain't real. I've been seeing on Instagram. How did we get there? Well, I'm just saying (laughs) that nothing is real anymore. You see what I'm saying? So like when you're looking at the Joneses, the Joneses can come in a whole lot of different forms. It could come as your friend that you think is doing so well. It could come as, uh, you know, uh, the Kardashians, it could come as, you know, some of these rappers that you see throwing bling and doing all these things. Half those cars rented in those videos. Those houses are rented. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, what was the what was the female uh, group? Was it three X three XL? What was the name of that black uh, female group where they did the cribs? And then years later, they they ended up revealing that the cribs episode that they did was all fake. It, it was it was not real. I don't remember that. Yeah, you don't remember that? Yeah, no. I, I'm sure I can't, you know, I'm not an R&B guy, so I can't quite remember the group, but it'll, you know, it'll it'll come to me. Maybe in one of the next podcasts, I'll, I'll reveal that group. But it was a group, an R&B group that did a Cribs, and the crib was years later, you know, they didn't reveal it at the time, but years later, they finally revealed that the house was rented, the cars were rented. None of that stuff was real. And the sad part about it is, you know, Yo MTV, uh, the the Cribs uh, uh, show and all the things that we look at even today on Instagram and we see all this money and and people popping bottles. 
sometimes we don't necessarily know whether or not those people are living paycheck to paycheck. So sometimes by you looking at the Joneses, you could be forced to live beyond your spending means that puts you in debt because you're trying to keep up with somebody that might not be doing well, but you don't necessarily know it because they're not telling you that. Well, and I think it just takes me back to saying, okay, you know, you have to look at what your spending habits are, because when you're trying to build, you know, this goes back to the um, setting goals, you know? So if you are minding your house and not the Joneses, then you can create your goals and spending habits that fall in line with you building riches and wealth. And I think for couples, particularly you know, intimate couples when, you know, that, that's probably one of the hardest things for people to do is to not look over the over the gate at what your neighbors have, because, you know, uh, sometimes people are just inherently competitive. And I thank God that we're not we're so far from that. Like we we run our own race. And that's one of the things that I love about the Talberts, because we are very uh we worry about our own business. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've had people come up to us and uh, criticize us because we we're two lawyers and uh, they feel that we should be living a certain way. They feel that we should have Lamborghinis, that we should have, you know, Lamborghinis. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Lamborghinis. That's not a good car no more. I mean, that's very extravagant. Okay, right? there what do you go. think we, yeah, they ain't think, no lawyers driving around Northwest Indiana in Lamborghinis. Yeah, is there's it? a couple of lawyers driving Lamborghinis in this area, oh, but okay. yeah, I'm not going to say their names, but you know, Bentleys and all these expensive cars and, you know, uh, $300 million homes. And, uh, we live very modestly and, a lot of the the reason I think that we live modestly is modestly is because we have a plan and uh you know we're doing things according to our financial plan in terms of building wealth and um I forgot what rapper said this it might have been like Jay-Z but he said wealth is not loud you know wealth is not loud wealth is not uh uh rich r- being rich is not loud and uh you know, they wrote a whole book about it, the the quintessential millionaire next door, right? So we don't have to necessarily show what we have and all the investments and the business investments and different things that we have, because that's for us to do that. And we're, so we're not worried about what somebody else is doing and trying to keep pace with what they're doing because we're running our own race. And I think part of that has allowed for us to make very, we've made very good investments, uh, not only in our business, but in the market, because we're worried about us. We're not worried about what somebody else is doing. Yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, it, again, basically mind your own business. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can't say it that way if <laughs> so you want to you make can, it simple. Yeah. Don't mind your own business. Try not to keep up with the Joneses. No, don't worry about keeping up with the Jones and not try not to just mind your own business. Man. Whatever you want to say, <laughs> however you want to put it, just stay out the Joneses business because they're yes. not they not real anyway. You know, right. Right. OK. Number four. Number four. Eliminating debt. Number four. Eliminating debt is if you're a couple and you want to become rich. You have to eliminate debt. And I know that might seem cliche, 
But uh, there's a whole industry, probably a multi-billion dollar industry because of debt creation in our cultures. You got these uh, cash uh, savings places. You have, uh, you know, rent a center. You have, you know, you know, even car lots, um, you know, expensive car lots, consumer goods and consumer products. The credit card industry. How did I miss the credit card industry? You know, that's probably the biggest thing, particularly for our youngsters. Well, I think that this takes me back to the conversation that we had to have about us, whatever, you know, our financial situation was when we were getting married. So to eliminate the debt, you know, you have to sit down, you have to map out a plan on how you're going to do that. I think that um, people try to do it in such a huge um Excuse me. Bless you. I know I was sneezing. Uh, sorry about that. Bless you. Um, thank you. So people try to do it in like such large chunks instead of, you know, biting one bite at a time. So you say, okay, if I've got this credit card, you know, that's got a $5,000 balance, set a time period on what you can do to pay that off. Even if it's, you know, if the minimum is, you know, $50 a month. Try to pay $55 a month or try to pay $100 a month. Whatever you do, pay more than the minimum because then that helps you eliminate that debt faster. And that interest isn't accruing. Um, you know, they're not making money off of you and you get rid of that that debt much more quickly than paying the minimum does. And then you you improve your par- your credit scores when you do that kind of stuff too. No, I, I, I agree with that 100%. And I think the first thing... Um, because eliminating debt might seem simple, but I think the first step to doing it is just to identify what you got to know what debt is. And I think a lot of times people get in trouble just because uh, they don't necessarily understand the definition of debt, you know, and, and, and it, it could vary for depending on who you talk to, but in the Tauber household and the Tauber clan, you know, anything that, uh, you pay for that you don't have the money for is debt is in my definition of it. So Shalice and I made uh, a very, I would say wise decision early on in our marriage that if we don't have the money, then we're not going to pay for it. Right. So, you know, uh, credit card debt, school debt, car debt, all of those things are, can, can be considered are considered debt. But I think the most important thing is, do you have the money to pay it off? Because one of the things that Shalice and I did is we use credit cards more so uh, to get points and rewards. So they're tricky, tricky ways that you could get cash back. But we never use a credit card unless we have the money in the bank to pay for it. And we don't keep credit card balances. Um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever had a, a balance on a credit card. I've always paid my credit cards off in full. Well, the distinction that I would make when you're talking about defining what debt is, you mentioned cars and and school debt. That's not something that, you know, was paid off easily. Um, You know, right now, you know, we we have two vehicles and we're paying, you know, car car notes on them. They were financed. Um, But we were we did have an aggressive plan to pay off our school loans, you know, so we were able to do that. Thank God we were able to do that. But there are some things that you are going to be paying, you know, a monthly payment for. But if you can get rid of the credit card debt, 
um, you know, we, we basically use our credit cards like cash. We pay the balances off every month. They don't, it doesn't carry over. Um, we get those rewards points or the cash back or whatever the programs are. I, I definitely take advantage of those things because, you know, they're not going to make money off of us <laughs> at this point. That's exactly right. But, um, you know, mortgages on your home, you know, that's that's debt, too. But still, at the same time, you you sit down and you create a plan as to how you can get that debt eliminated or as low as possible in the most aggressive way. Right. And I think the point that you make about like when you say about the cars, yeah, you can finance uh, a vehicle or finance something. But the point is that you didn't have to do that if you didn't want to. If you wanted to pay it off completely, you could. But there are certain benefits to building credit. There's certain benefits to uh, like I think on 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 my truck, I think I got like a I bought it during the pandemic. So it was like, uh, I want to say it was close to almost 0% interest. So it's like almost free money. So why, uh, you know, not to go down that rabbit hole, but why pay, you know, uh, a whole chunk of money when you could basically uh, get it financed for little or nothing. So that's the point I'm making. Yeah. If in you terms have of, it, if you have it right. Yeah. So if you, if you can afford uh, not, uh, to incur debt, then you should try to. But if you are going to incur debt, as to Shalisa's point, then try to get the best finances financing that you can, but have a plan to pay it off uh, very quickly so you don't get hit with interest. Okay, let's move on to our next point. So the next thing, number five, save money in different buckets. Save money in different buckets. Yeah. So with this, we kind of identified different buckets being, you know, you've got your your uh, general fund that pays your bills and all of that. So that's separate from saving, saving for emergencies, saving for vacation, saving for investments or uh, retirement. Those are the things that um, are outside of your everyday household needs that you can put money to the side and start building um, nest eggs, start building your wealth and riches. Yeah, I think the the, the plan here is that you, that uh, organized uh, financial household is more inclined to probably reach your financial destination than a disorganized one. And the best way to organize your financial household is to have things uh, separated and segregated. So, um, and it also forces you to accumulate uh, the funding for certain things that you might want. So you might, so you won't go into debt. So particularly what Shalice and I do is uh, we have, you know, a vacation fund. When we got married, um, we started a wedding, a wedding fund, a when specific we got engaged. when we got, yeah, when we got engaged, we, uh, opened up a wedding account, uh, so that we could save money and put money aside because our goal was not to go into debt after we have our wedding. We didn't want to start our, our marriage off in debt. So for, uh, I want to say about the year, once I proposed, um, to her, I think we got married within a year of that. And we had an account opened up, a segregated account that we did not touch. And we just put money aside uh, in that account up into the wedding day. So we basically paid off our wedding 
um, and our reception, we paid it all off. We had no debt. Uh, we do that with our vacations, with vacation funds. We have an emerg- a specific emergency fund, so a rainy day fund that we put money aside. Uh, I want to say we put 10% of what we earn into that rainy day fund, uh, along with other investments. Uh, we have uh, our separate investment account. So through our uh, business, we have uh, retirement accounts that we put money that's automatically taken out of our checks and segregated and earmarked out. And I think that we might have another, uh, I'm trying to think of the other account that we might have. That might be it. Well, we, we have um, the retirement fund, which is, it's not a 401k per se, but it's still a retirement fund. And then we have what we rolled over from our previous employers. Um, but that's not something that we can, contribute to. We have life insurance, we have disability insurance. And and these type of investments, you know, are not just about, you know, stocks or anything like that. These these are the investment accounts, you know, are um I guess I'll say this too before I forget. Um these are joint accounts. Both of our names are on these accounts. That's a good so point. at the banks. So it's not my my account, his account. We don't have separate accounts. Um, the accounts that we did have separately, we actually used the account that I had to um, put away our money for when we were saving up the capital for um, opening our firm. So that account only existed for for that purpose after we got married. Um, you know, and now I, I only have that account there because we, we financed one of our vehicles there. And so they take money out of it. So I had to transfer money into that account. But otherwise, our accounts are joint. And that I think that's very important to, to note as well. Yeah, I think I think I think that's important to note as well, primarily because I think that a house divided will will fall. And I talk to couples all the time because people come to us and ask us for advice, uh, relationship advice all the time. And we're not relationship coaches or gurus. You know, we uh, we're, we learn and had to read up on things just like the next person. But um, one of the things that I always encourage couples that come to us and seek advice is try not to have a divided house. And I think that you start your relationship off wrong when you have separate accounts, because I've I, I talked to a couple where um, they were having some financial trouble and they both had their own separate checking accounts. And um, so, you know, that was her money and that was his money. And I think that first it sets a negative tone in your in your house that you are not a team and you're not working together as one. And then it's just uh, it's hard to track and keep up financially with whether or not um, you're meeting your financial goals, because how can you do that if if it's not your account? So I think you start off on the wrong foot. But 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 Shalise makes a good point. Joint accounts. Uh, not only mentally uh, strengthen your relationship financially, but also, um, you know, from a relationship standpoint, it really gets you off on a strong foundation. Right. And obviously, if you are not, you know, if we're talking about partnerships, you know, people who are not involved in a relationship, um, having a joint account to start that business, I think is very important as well. So like I mentioned that, you know, we use the, 
the account to save the initial capital for opening our firm. You talked about us, you know, having that account to save for our wedding. Um, partners can do the same thing, having that joint account, because then you become accountable to one another in building the wealth for your business. Yeah, I agree. And, I, and, and, you know, I just think that sometimes we, uh, as, uh, Couples don't necessarily understand the power of numbers. Uh, the power of, of of compounding interest is a big thing. And you would be surprised how fast your money grows when you sock it away in an investment account. Forgot one account. We have a we have a brokerage account as well with Charles Schwab where we do our our market our market investing. And we've bought some very, very good financial uh very good stocks out of that account. But you would be surprised at how fast your money grows when you're not worried about it. And when you sock it away in the market in a brokerage account or if you sock it away in a, you know, a separate account, you look up and you got, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars because of compound interest and because it's just growing. It's just accumulating once you put money in. And the only way you can do that is you have to have a, a mindset to specifically earmark funds into some sort of an account. All right, let's move on to, we got what, three more to go? Yep, we're almost there. Number six, seek advice. Yes, you remember I told you about Proverbs, Proverbs 15, 22 says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. One of my favorite scriptures. So you have to seek advice. You cannot do this on your own. Um, And I think one of the, uh, fallacies that that couples have and not just couples, but people generally have is they think that by going to someone and asking for advice, that's a sign of weakness. And I disagree. And I always have. I think that when you go and seek advice, that's a sign of strength. And you'll be surprised that, you know, the information that people are willing to offer you if you open up and just ask them to help you. And I know Shalice and I um, we have mentors. I know I have mentors that have given me some very great financial advice about uh, business, about uh, stocks, about bonds. And uh, I, I take that advice a lot of times. And sometimes the advice, you know, is not to do something. And that has helped me financially grow and helped me in my relationship with, with Shalice. So you got to have uh, good advisors around you. Yeah, I would say those, um, you know, seeking advice, you get to a a financial advisor, a financial counselor, um, you know, counseling itself um, could help, not necessarily geared towards finances, but the counseling, you know, um, our premarital counseling, I think, helped in in our aspect of attacking our financial situation, um, our goals and setting goals and looking at debt and all that. Um, Books research, internet, use tools that are out there. You can, so many things are free on the internet that allow you to um, find the advice that you need in order to get a savings plan or a financial plan together for you and your um, partner. Yeah. And I think that uh, try not to be, if you want to, to get on the path of uh, building riches as a couple, uh, whether it's an intimate couple or a business partner, you have to think 
can't think literally all the time. So when first thing that people think of when when someone says seek advice, um, I think most people think like a live human being, uh, you know, having somebody there walk you through each and every phase of your financial journey. And uh, I was taught early on that advice and mentoring can come from many different sources. You can you can learn something from a child if you observe them. Right. The Bible talks about, uh, you know, looking at ants and how ants work, you know, and I think in the book of Proverbs. And one of the things that I use as a mentoring uh, component to help me with with our family uh, finances is I read, you know, so, you know, I use, you know, some of the best business minds in the world to serve as my mentors, people I've never even met mentor me. So, you know, uh, I got a book right here, uh, The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, um, who was uh, Warren Buffett's mentor. Uh, one of the books that got Shalice and I on our financial journey um, to building a, a better, uh, sounder financial plan for ourselves and our family was a book by David Back called Smart Couples Finish Rich, I believe is what the name of the book is. And, um, you know, these are people that you might not ever meet, but these people offer you great advice and wisdom because they're speaking to you and mentoring you through the words in their books. So don't be literal um, when seeking advice, get advice from books, get advice from people, observe, open your eyes and do all kind of cool things to make sure that you get off on the financial path that you deserve. All right. You want to give them number seven? Yeah. What is uh, number seven is what? Spend time together, I believe. Right. Yeah. Number seven. Spend time together. And uh, I think that's very important. You want to talk about that? Well, I think what happens is when you spend time together, you are getting to know one another. You're talking about so many different things. Um, So it's not a matter of, hey, we got to sit down and have this meeting and talk about our finances. It's just, you know, everyday life and having time together. We work out together. So during those, you know, one hour, 90 minute workouts, we end up talking about so many different things, whether it's business, whether it's our goals, whether it's, you know, laughing and joking. But a lot of stuff is revealed when you're spending time together. We have lunch together. Um, So, you know, sitting down at dinner or whatever the case may be, going for walks, whatever it is that you all enjoy doing together, spend that time together, because I think that reveals what you you both desire, what you both um, have in mind for goals. And this this is this whole true for business partners. You know, you can't just go into business with someone without knowing about that person. And the way that you learn about that person is when you're spending time together. And that's how you learn about their their financial culture, what they may have grown up to think about um, spending money or not spending money or how to handle money and all those things. That's true. And I think uh, some of the the coolest ideas for our business, for our law firm, uh, we've talked about while we were working out in the morning, we work out every morning at like five thirty AM. So we're up in the morning, we're working out, we're running, we're lifting weights. And during that hour time that we work out, Shalice and I are talking about life. We're talking about relationships. We're talking, laughing, we're joking. We're talking about um, our finances. I remember, I'm not going to ever forget this. I remember we were working out, um, 
one of the one of the mornings we were working out. And during that time, we talked about what stocks we were going to invest in during the pandemic. And uh, we, you know, when everybody was freaking out about the pandemic and saying, hey, you know, don't spend money. We're in a recession. Things are going bad. The stock market is dropping. I remember you and I working out and saying this is the time to buy. And I remember that week we bought tons of stock. We bought uh, stock in a lot of different places. And once the market rebounded, we did very, very well. And all of that came out of you and I talking over working out. You know, we eat lunch together pretty much every day. Not not. Yeah, I would say pretty much every day if I'm available, if I'm not in depositions or if I'm not in court or if she's not in court, we're usually eating lunch together and we are talking about the firm. We're talking about planning. We're talking about, you know, business pursuits. We're talking about all these different things during our intimate times. All right. Let's get to the last one. The last tip. Number eight. Be a giver. Be a giver. All right. So Proverbs three and nine says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So that, I believe, sums it all up. I don't think uh, you can reach uh, financial prosperity unless you have a heart to give. And primarily, you got to give to God first. So uh, Shalice and I, we're tithers. We have always been tithers. Um, You know, we believe in that uh, truly. We make sure that God gets his off the top first <laughs> because we want him to bless, you know, our barns and our vats and we want um, everything that we touch to prosper. So I think that's the first step for couples. You have to make sure that you give first to God and thank him for giving you the power and the uh, you know talent to be able to develop and make money. Um, and then the second thing you want to do is to also be a giver to others and to make sure that you are advancing, um, you know, good initiatives. You know, Shalice and I are, are one of our things that we love doing is being philanthropic and making sure that we uh, help people and uh, nonprofits and other organizations, because that comes back to you tenfold. Um, it's simple to me, you know, sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. If you sow and you give to others, it will come back to you a hundred times fold. That is true. That is true. And that is eight things couples should do to become rich. And we are done. I think those were great tips, very sound tips. And we hope that these tips help you. And what we're going to ask you to do, if these tips help you and you enjoyed this video, we're going to ask that you hit the like and you hit the subscribe button and continue to follow our podcast uh, for more content like this and make sure that you continue to share it with your friends and your family. We'll continue to make great content to help you, your loved ones, your business partners achieve all the great things that you are put on this earth to achieve. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in. God bless you. Take care.